Hello, everybody. Welcome to the inaugural podcast of My Cousin Has That. My name is Karen Sims. I'm your host for this podcast series. And on the My Cousin Has That team, we have Dr. Julie Monk and Associate Professor Josh Uwe. Julie, could you please tell us a bit about yourself, your brilliant career, and how you got to be here today? Thank you, Karen, for that lovely introduction. So my name is Julie Monk. I am working with Josh at the moment to help the translation of a cell therapy for the treatment of autoimmune disease. Oh, wow. That sounds heavy. We'll have to get into that. My background is in industry. So I did do my PhD in biochemistry, molecular biology, many, many years ago, but not inspired by being at the bench. I worked as a writer for contract research organisations developing publications and presentations of phase four clinical trials. I've also spent some time working at CSL in the early clinical development department with assets that were moving from non-clinical into clinical phase one studies. So I'm bringing my knowledge from that experience to help Josh and his team translate their cell therapies. Fantastic. I'm going to deconstruct some of those words because they flew right over my head. So Josh, before we get to you, what I can help with is CSL, Commonwealth Serum Laboratories. That's correct. Well, that's that's a tricky one. Could you please tell me what a phase four clinical trial is? So a phase four clinical trial is when you have a medical product that has been approved for use. In humans? In humans, Mm -hmm. yeah. It's gone through a regulatory process and it can be sold and used in humans. Phase four clinical trials gather real world data on the use of that particular product. So that makes me think there's phase one, phase two, phase three That's trials. Okay. Yeah. Can you give me a quick definition of those? So phase one is typically a safety study. So that's the first time we're using the product in human mm-hmm. and we want to understand, is it safe? Phase two and phase three are typically your dose finding and your efficacy studies. So they are studies where you're wanting to find the best dose for that particular medication. And efficacy is you want to understand how well does it work? How well does it work against a placebo, which is no treatment, or how well does it work against the current treatments? That is excellent. And so, of course, you want to get the dose right because you want the person to be better off but you don't want them to be sick from the tablet or exactly. the medicine they're taking. Yep. Okay. Yep. You're very smart. Oh, thank you. Um, so you can write <laughs> and understand science. Yes. So yes. you are almost a unicorn. Oh, not quite. <laughs> but you're getting there. Um, how did you meet Josh? How did I meet Josh? Well, it's a bit of a long story. Oh, tell us. We've yeah. got time. I actually did meet Josh, would be 15 years ago. So when he was zero. When he was a little baby, no. (laughs) When he was a young, uh, I won't say student because you'd finished your degree and you were working as a research assistant. Probably just an honest student, probably. Honest student, yeah. yeah. Mm. And he happened to be working for my husband who used to work at Monash Medical Centre in the... Kidney lab? Yeah. Right. So that's when I first met Josh. So it's a family affair. You just have to keep track of Josh at all times. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) How I came to work with Josh is, yeah, another 
six degrees of separation kind of story. So one of my good friends, Rachel, who works at the Department of Rheumatology at Monash, and we caught up one weekend and she was talking about this amazing project that they were going to start in lupus. And mm-hmm. I was sitting there at the time not feeling very enthused about what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I just said to her, oh, that sounds amazing, Rachel. If an opportunity comes up, let me know. And lo and behold, three days later, she was on the phone to me saying, hey, I think I have this opportunity for you. Terrific. You should come and work for us and help Josh with what he's doing. And I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't really put two and two together until we actually had a Zoom call. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at Josh going, you look oh, familiar. <laughs> we've met before. <laughs> he said, no, no, no. <laughs> so, so, they, so the moral of the story is have a good husband, have a good friend and also network. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And mm. yeah, actually just say out loud that you're looking for something Why new. Why not? Yeah. Say it out loud and proud. Oh, thank you so much, Julie. Josh, could you tell us about you and your research career, please? Sure. I run a medical research laboratory based at Monash Medical Centre uh, what we do is we try to understand why people develop diseases such as autoimmune diseases and we try to develop new therapies. So for a long time, I worked in what we call basic research. Mm-hmm. So we really understand how genes work and we sort of do very simple experiments, not simple, complicated, but uh, very in-depth experiments trying to understand how a gene works. And I'm, we're very fortunate to meet Julie, who's sort of on the other end of getting a medical product or medicine into people. So I think we've got very complementary skills and without her help, we would be very lost about trying to, trying to we use the word translate, but really is trying to get what we see under a microscope into a person to make that person feel better. Fantastic. And did you always want to do research? No, for a very long time in high school and even in uni, I wanted to become a doctor like, like most biomedical science graduates. But when I did my honours with uh, Tim, Julie's husband, that was when I realised that research or science is actually really very interesting. I think some one of the experiments I did was like actually seeing a protein get made, even though that's something simple, but because I did it and I'm like the first person in the world to do it, that really meant something to me. And I think I sort of got hooked from that day on to actually keep making discoveries, which is what we're doing up, to, up till today. Fantastic. Did I hear that right? You did something for the first time ever in the world. Yes, yes, but that, that happens in, in every lab every day. A PhD student or a postdoc will do something new that nobody's ever actually done before. Right. Perhaps I should have turned up to science after all. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> no, I don't regret it at all, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so why this podcast? As Josh has just explained to you, there's some exciting research going on and we'll talk about that research. Now, for this podcast series, we're focusing on five conditions that can certainly be hugely disruptive to living a full and long life. Josh, could you tell us the five conditions, please? Yep. So the autoimmune diseases that we'll be talking about in this podcast are going to be type 1 diabetes, multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, Sjogren's syndrome, and lupus. So they are all autoimmune diseases. We'll talk about this frequently and at length, but can you give us a snapshot of what an autoimmune disease is? Yeah, so in, with COVID, we all understand immunity now. And how, I don't know. You better yeah. explain it. <laughs> so with how the immune system is really set up, evolutionarily speaking, to fight off bacteria and viruses. But in an autoimmune disease, this immune system, instead of targeting these viruses and bacteria, they 
mistakenly or unexpectedly start attacking parts of your own body, like your kidney, your brain, your pancreas, and, and you lose function in that particular organ and you get really sick. So it's the body fighting against itself. That's exactly right. And do we know why the body does that to itself? We have some ideas and there have been lots of research going on in the last half a century. And we do know some things and that has led to us trying to, to use that information to develop new therapies. But there's still a lot of unknowns. Excellent. Hence why you went into research and exactly. medicine. Yeah. Let's go through these five conditions one by one. You two are the experts, so just speak over each other whenever you want to. Could we start with lupus? What are some of the symptoms? So with lupus, you uh, get quite sick. It's a very general, non-specific description. One of the characteristics is a rash on the person's face, and I think that's where the name lupus comes from because mm-hmm. it means wolf, and they have a distinctive rash on their face that looks like a wolf. Mm-hmm. It's a what we call a systemic disease, which means it travels through the blood and therefore different parts of the body can be affected. So a common manifestation of lupus is kidney disease, mm-hmm. and these patients get quite sick end up with end-stage kidney disease, required dialysis. Mm -hmm. So not a great outcome. Other patients can experience symptoms in their nervous system and get quite sick from that. Some lupus patients may just have the rash Mm -hmm. and just have general fatigue and pain. And fatigue and pain is one of those symptoms that hits everybody, I think, that has an autoimmune disease. doesn't really get talked about much because it's hard to measure in clinical trials and it's not what the clinician generally is wanting to stop. They're wanting to stop the damage to the tissue. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think we're going to talk about fatigue and pain quite a few times in this mm-hmm. series. So can I just paraphrase, tell me if I'm wrong, not everybody gets the same symptoms and not everybody gets all of the symptoms? Correct. So it's pretty difficult to manage, I would say? yes. And is it also difficult to diagnose? It takes a while to diagnose a particular autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. So usually what starts is fatigue and then you get pain in different organs and even then it's not clear what you get until you do a, a blood test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you, so there is a blood test to diagnose lupus? Yes. Okay, thank you. And what are the current treatments? For lupus, it's quite unfortunate actually. They don't have many treatment options. So they can take steroids and immunosuppressants, and these types of therapies suppress the immune system in general. So while it can help with getting rid of the disease or the disease-causing parts, it also means that the patient becomes susceptible to infection. So because their immune system is not functioning at a high level, the risk of infection increases. Right. So you're suppressing some good things, but that can cause a bad thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who gets lupus? Mainly females. It's a nine-to-one female-to-male ratio. Mm-hmm. And it's usually when they are fairly young, so between the ages of 18 to 40 years old, that is usually when a person gets diagnosed with lupus. Okay. And are there any kind of ethnicities that get lupus more than others? Yes. So there seems to be an association with uh, being... Asian, mm-hmm. as well as in terms of disease severity, uh, there is associations with indigenous Australians who seem to get worse disease. Do we know why? 
We're just trying to figure that out. And there, there are a lot of studies, especially over at Monash Health, Monash mm-hmm. Medical Center, where we're trying to work out why that happens and looking at um, the different biomarkers, we call them, or different proteins in the serum. So a biomarker is a... Is a biological measurement mm-hmm. of something that we can uh, measure in, in the blood. Okay, very clear. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, it is clear. Yeah. Okay, can we go on to type 1 diabetes? What are the symptoms of type 1 diabetes? Symptoms of type 1 diabetes. So you have to forgive me because I'm not a clinician. That's so okay. I'm just we, going we from personal. forgive you for everything. Don't worry about that. <laughs> personal knowledge. So increased thirst, mm-hmm. needing to go to the toilet a lot, particularly at night. And this is in relation to uh, your blood sugar levels not being regulated mm-hmm. properly mm-hmm. because in type 1 diabetes, the body attacks cells in an organ called the pancreas. Mm-hmm. The pancreas is responsible for secreting a compound called insulin. Mm-hmm. And insulin is what the body needs to make sure that your blood sugar levels stay within a certain level. And when your pancreas isn't doing that? Your blood sugar levels go all over the place Mm -hmm. and that can cause fluid imbalance, hence the excessive thirst and excessive needing going to the toilet. Okay. And Mm. losing weight, does that happen? Losing weight, yes. Mm -hmm. So the symptoms for being diagnosed are pretty clear, aren't they? For type 1 diabetes, I think they'd be pretty clear. I mean, particularly once you do a blood test. And or you even can a see urine test. Yeah, yeah, the glucose So levels. urine test, blood test. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And male, female, Western world, developing world, any stats on that? It's pretty much one-to-one. Male yeah, and female. Male mm-hmm. and female, mm-hmm. yep. mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. And so obviously the treatment is to give them artificial insulin. Yes, yeah. So it's what we call a replacement therapy. So we're just essentially replacing what the body can't do anymore. Mm-hmm. And say if someone gets type 1 diabetes at age 2 and they live until they're 80, that's a long time to have type 1 diabetes. Does yeah. that cause problems? Uh, it's also it's bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's also bad. So I know there are you can have pumps now. <laughs> yeah, pumps that help, people wear on their body. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. to help... Um, yes. It's like walking a tightrope for the rest yeah. of your life. So you yes. literally yeah. have to be very careful with yep. yeah. a lot of things. So mm-hmm. that is, again, what you're trying to cure, Josh. Yeah, so we're trying to... So why are you sitting here? It could be back at the lab. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to cure it. We are trying to cure it, yes. Thank Not just you. me, me and, and a bunch of other scientists. Why don't we take a uh, mini break from the diseases for one second. Tell yeah. me who's in your lab. How many people? What do they do? So we've got about 30 people and we have honour students, so people after the third year of uni, they can come into the lab and do a research project. And then we've got research assistants who who help with running the lab. They are amazing. We need them. Mm -hmm. We also have students who then do a PhD, which is a particular project focusing on, you can focus on a particular cell type or you can focus on a particular disease. So we've got a few of them. We also have uh, postdocs who sort of, lead the projects and they're in charge of writing the papers and making sure everything's done properly. And we have a senior clinical development coordinator like Julie who helps us get from, again, what we see down a microscope to actually being a a medical product that can actually treat people. Fantastic. Thank you. 
Let's go on to multiple sclerosis. What are the symptoms of MS? So people have, it's called relapsing remitting. So they, what happens in MS is that their immune system starts to attack the cells in the brain, mm-hmm. right? And that causes lots of problems, particularly the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, coordination. Coordination, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And these people, they can't, like a lot of people, autoimmune diseases, um, they really struggle with day-to-day things, right? And, and I think they also get a lot of um, depression, from mm-hmm. what I understand. Yes, yeah. well, mm. any of these diseases, you know, they're not fun. So you could imagine that being depressed would yeah. be a byproduct of having these terrible diseases. Yeah, part of it is mm. also because it's when we say progressive. There are very few things doctors can do now to actually um, stop it from eventually happening. Okay. Because current medications can slow down the onset of losing your ability to control your movements. Mm-hmm. But what we are trying to do is to actually stop the progression and possibly reverse the disease. Oh, wow. Fantastic. And who gets MS? Most autoimmune diseases, women. In this case, three times as many women get autoimmune disease, get MS compared to men. Mm-hmm. And young, old, Similar any to age. lupus, interestingly, between the ages of 20 to 40. Wow. Okay. Which is, I guess, one of the sad facts about some of these autoimmune diseases is they're hitting women during their childbearing years. Yes. And some of the medications they need to take, like steroids, for example, affect their ability to conceive if they're wanting to conceive. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's multi-layered. And perhaps even carrying a baby to term yes. might be tricky. Yeah. And also, how, how well is the baby? If they do deliver babies, are the babies healthy or are the do the babies have complications as well? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I am a scientist after all. <laughs> there you go. Uh, thank you for that. That's very helpful. So Sjogren's syndrome, I'm going to spell that for everyone at home on the couch because it's a difficult word. S-J-O-G-R-E-N apostrophe S syndrome. Could you please tell me about Sjogren's syndrome? So in this case, the immune system starts to attack the glands, attack your salivary glands on your tear glands, and basically just really dry. And and it's not just as simple as saying you're dry, but it actually hurts a lot. There's chronic pain. And mm, I bet fatigue. it would. Yeah. So dry mouth, dry eyes. Yeah. And is that does that mean your insides are dry as well? I don't think so. Oh, okay. No. Sorry. I'm, I'm no longer a scientist, <laughs> yeah. everyone. I've been sacked. I've sacked myself. Um, so, yeah, but it brings pain, discomfort. Yeah. Difficulty moving. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this one has even a stronger female to, it's probably the strongest female to male ratio. Somebody's out to get us, Joey. Mm. Yeah. So I think yeah, it's 13, 13 or 14 yeah. to 1. Yeah. yeah. 14 to 1. Yeah. Oh, wow. And what can we say about rheumatoid arthritis, please? What are the symptoms? So rheumatoid arthritis is a chronic disease. It affects joints, muscles and the connective tissue. So a lot of pain with movement and it tends to affect females more predominantly than males and unfortunately tends to be more aggressive in females as Mm -hmm. well. And how is it diagnosed? Well, I think it might be similar to lupus, right, Josh? It's Doctors obviously start with the symptoms and you get yeah. joint pain and then they do a blood test to look for antibodies. So when we say a blood test, what they're actually looking for is the specific immune response against a protein that's found in the particular organ. 
So for rheumatoid arthritis, for example, they can look for antibodies against uh, proteins that are found in the joint. Okay, bad things bad in things, the joint. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So lots of pain, fatigue, stiffness. Yeah. Inflammation. Inflammation. Okay. Visible inflammation. Yes, when it's bad. Yes. Okay. Often you get the pain before you can actually visibly visibly see the right swollenness. Okay. Doesn't sound like much fun. And what are the treatments at the moment? I think the progress in the treatment space for rheumatoid arthritis has actually been quite good over the past couple of decades. So probably in the, what, 80s, 90s, up until then, if you had rheumatoid arthritis, things weren't good for you. Mm -hmm. So hospitalisation, possibility of death before your time. Mm -hmm. Now they have biologics, which target a specific part of the immune system and that can help turn down the disease. Mm-hmm. Well, it's still lifelong management of the disease. Yeah, right, so it's you're constant on, management. Yeah, you're on, you're on this biologics for the rest of your yeah. life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't cure it. It just Not. makes it more manageable. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And can I just explain... Some people think chronic and terminal are the, are the same thing, but they're certainly not, are they? So no. chronic means ongoing, ongoing long term, yep. and terminal means you're going to die. It, you're going to die. Yeah, yeah. yeah. soon. <laughs> Blunt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's acute pain and chronic pain. So acute is here and now very severe. Is yep. that right? Yes. Yep. And chronic is long term. Yeah, I think chronic. I think an official definition would be pain ongoing. After three months, like three months or more, mm-hmm. yeah. But in rheumatoid arthritis, you could have acute pain and chronic pain, couldn't you? Yes. I would say. Yes. Yeah. Mm. That's very helpful. We touched on this a bit. We're focusing on these five conditions because they're all autoimmune conditions. Josh, do you think it's because they all have similarities that, that are relevant to your work? Yeah. So um, it's all obviously involves the immune system, but something happens that causes the immune system to specifically target an organ or a protein. And we've done, me and lots of others have done work trying to understand how this happened. There's a genetic component. um, You may know that a lot of people with, I guess, parents or grandparents who have an autoimmune disease, um, they pass on their genes to their children, and then some of the children develop um, similar autoimmune disease. Right, yeah, so there's a genetic link. Correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And some people, like it's not uncommon for someone with an autoimmune disease to have more than one autoimmune disease. Okay, mm. and it can be passed through families to children. Yeah. And, and they could get the same autoimmune disease or they could get a different one, but still part of the autoimmune family. Yes. That seems to happen, but yeah, yeah. we don't really know why that happens. Okay. Yeah. That's been very informative. I hope everybody has learnt some things and had a pretty good time. Julie and Josh, do you have anything else to say? So much to say, but we'll save it for the other episodes. Okay, that sounds like a great plan because next time we're talking about lupus more specifically and we have two very special guests. So thank you for listening, everyone. Julie and Josh, thank you for your time. Thank you, I know you're very busy. My pleasure. Goodbye, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.